podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Europe's been on everyone's lips. In, out, remain or change. Red, blue, yellow, green, white or even purple. But one thing's for sure, Great Britain are in the European Games. They're being held in Belarus in June and we have the British lineup with some surprising names in there too. I'm John. And I'm Michael, and don't forget on Anything But Footy, we love to hear your opinions. You can email us, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. You can tweet us, anythingbutf. We're also on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. So the European Games on the agenda on this episode of Anything But Footy. We'll also be talking about equality in sport. Katerina Johnson-Thompson. Uh, we've got news of a failed drugs test as well again this week. And in our roundup, we'll be featuring the sports of sailing, boxing, rugby sevens, athletics, modern pentathlon, rowing, ice hockey, golf and much more. So Great Britain, Team GB, very much in Europe this week. As British Olympic Association announced more than 100 athletes will be heading off to Belarus for the Minsk 2019 European Games. And yes, I did have to Google where Minsk was. 93 athletes have been confirmed from 10 sports with eight archers expected to be named over the next few days. And this is the second staging of the so-called European Games. The first was in Baku. No, I didn't remember it either. Uh, Back in 2015. But this is equivalent to the statue of something like the Commonwealth Games for most of Europe. We're talking 4,000 athletes, 50 countries competing across 10 days in 200 different medal events with the opening and closing ceremony being held in the Dynamo National Olympic Stadium. It starts June the 21st and it ends June the 30th. And as I say, Team GB will be competing in archery, badminton, boxing, canoe sprint, cycling, gymnastics, judo, karate, shooting, table tennis and wrestling. And some big names will be taking part, Michael. Yep, Jason Kenny, I suggest, would be probably top of the bill as far as Team GB are concerned. Sally Conway, a medalist at Rio at the Olympics, along with Katie Marchant, and they're both in the team. And Amber Hill as well, who won medals on the Gold Coast in the Commonwealth Games, will be going as part of the shooting squad. The eight archers that are being added to that 93 who were initially confirmed by Team GB across 10 sports means that the British contingent will be 101 and the archers by the way won a bronze medal at the Archery World Cup in the women's compound event this week as well. Team GB will have more female athletes than men and as everybody knows uh, and I didn't have to google it Minsk is where Phoebe from Friends's boyfriend lived that's what everyone (laughs) has said to me uh, when I've talked about the European (gasps) Games in Minsk. It's interesting this one because I think we have to say it's separate to the European Championships which, of course, uh, were held their inaugural event in Glasgow last year. And this is, as you say, is the second edition of the European Games. Ten qualifying events for Tokyo, four European Championships going to be held, and a a lot of gold medals up for grabs again here. And basically, the idea behind the European Games was to bring Europe in line with the Pan American Games, the Pacific Games, the Asian Games, and the African Games. It now means that every continent has its own games. And I think for sports that you mentioned there, like wrestling, like shooting, for example, that looks like it's going to miss out 
on the next Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. It doesn't look like we're going to have shooting events in the Commonwealth Games. I think the European Games are a great opportunity. If you are one of Team GB's badminton players, for example, if you're in the judo team, if you're a judoka, this is another brilliant opportunity, a multi-sport event. In 2015, our medalists included Jay Jones, Nicola Adams, Joe Joyce, Duncan Scott. We know what they went on to do. So I think on the positive side, it's great for the so-called minority sports. It's great for athletes to get experience in, in a multi-sport event environment, especially when we're kind of 14 months out from Tokyo and the Olympics. Um, from the negative side, I would say the expense for host cities, building venues for something like this. The Dutch, of course, pulled out of hosting and the lack of big names going, of course. The athletics, as we know, none of the key British names will be there. So therefore, it won't really register too much on the uh, British sporting landscape. It is going to be live, though, on BT Sport. I remember watching a, a Roundup Highlights program on the BBC of the first edition in Baku. I think it got about 90 minutes coverage one Sunday afternoon on BBC Two. But this one is going to be live across BT Sport, as you say, between the 21st and the 30th of June. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? You mentioned Jason Kenny there, the greatest ever track cyclist uh, alongside Bradley Wiggins with six golds and seven medals in total in Olympic history. Fellow cyclist Katie Marchant and Sally Conway, as you say, both won medals in Rio in, in cycling and judo. So it obviously means something to these guys to go to this event. But as you say, the, the, the issue is it's not in the public radar. You know, that's part of our job to get it out there and, and get people interested in it. But... Do we need another multi-sporting event or, as you say, is it right that we are like Pan-Asia, Pan-America, that we have these other multi-sport events apart from the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics? I like the idea of it. I really do. And I think apart I from said, it, apart but... from in it's, it's, it's always in the back of Beyondsville. So it's it's yeah. it's Minsk or Baku, which, you know, is a long way away from people and in that... London or Glasgow or, or, or Cardiff. And that boils down to the economics. As I said, the venues, hosting something like this, having a stadium uh, big enough to put athletics on. We've not got aquatics in 2019, but we did have swimming, diving, water polo and artistic swimming. The reason it's going to places like Minsk and Baku is because they are willing to foot the bill for it. Mm. I think my issue with it is we've got this European Championships, which I thought was a really neat concept and really well done by Glasgow last year, where they bought a lot of European Championships together. And of course, I think that will go from strength to strength because it incorporated major European Championships in sports like athletics. Obviously, that was held in Berlin, though, last time. In track cycling and gymnastics, for example, it got the big names there to me it seems bizarre to have a european games and a european championship and i think the future for this event and if it is going to get a little bit more sort of public affection and more noticeability i think the european games and the european championships at some point are going to have to come together i do like the idea i love a multi-sport event i think for a lot of people that maybe don't get the opportunity to go to an Olympic Games, this will be the peak of their career. I think for a lot of people that maybe are building towards an Olympic Games, this will be a very important step on the road, a bit like the Commonwealth Games is. And I think it will take time. The first modern Olympics wasn't the Olympic Games that we see today. It's taken many additions to get where we are. 
the European Games, the European Championships from last year are very much in their early stages. And I think we need to, to give it a bit of time and we need to show it a little bit of respect. And I think, I think that's right. You know, when, when things are new, it's so easy to go, oh, this is just rubbish. This, is, this, is, this isn't important. This isn't what people are interested in. And actually, you're right. You know, it took uh, uh, Mr. Kubata quite a, a number of years to get the Olympic movement going. And now here we are sitting, uh, you know, on a, on a weekly basis talking about the Olympics, um, uh, you know, that, that we want to talk about. But, you know, if we'd have started it 150 years ago, people would have looked at us and gone, what the heck are you two doing? Um, so I think, you know, you've got to you've got to look at it like that. And also, as you say, it's important for archery, shooting and table tennis because you can qualify for the big one, if you like, the 2020 Olympics. If you perform well in Minsk, you could automatically then be going to the Olympics. And as you rightly say as well, Jason Kenny, you know, he obviously needs something. He needs to, the practice. He needs the competition to get himself ready for next year's Olympics. And I think that's that that's a, a really good point to make as well. So um, it's June the 21st to the 30th, as you say, BT Sport uh, are showing it and have exclusive rights right throughout the Games. Uh, they're going to be doing daily and live coverage of the uh, Games throughout the competition. And of course, we'll keep you up to date as well here on Anything But Footy. The European Games, we're definitely in it. We're definitely in it. One person who won't be in it, though, is Katarina Johnson-Thompson. But what a huge year she might have ahead of her. She's been competing at the Gotsis Heptathlon meeting and against a world-class field there. She's registered a personal best score, a world lead score this year as well, of 6,813 points. Now, to put that into context, she's third on the UK list now behind Jessica Ennis-Hill and Denise Lewis. I think Jessica Ennis-Hill only uh, re- really beat a score like that a couple of times in her career and that was good enough to win medals at Olympic and world level. It's the first time Katarina Johnson-Thompson has gone over 6,800 points when she picked up her silver medal in Berlin in the European Championships last year. She only registered 6,759 points. She went as high as she's ever gone in the high jump, as quick as she's ever gone in the 200 metres, and improved javelin as well, but it was still well down on Nafi Tiam. And I mentioned Nafi Tiam of Belgium, the reigning Olympic and world champion. She wasn't there because of injury. She is due back next month but I think this is another landmark performance from Katarina Johnson-Thompson last year was a big year world indoor pentathlon champion in Birmingham Commonwealth Games gold medalist on the Gold Coast European silver medal I think a year last year was overshadowed a little bit by the achievements of Dina Asher-Smith but uh, reading in the Telegraph Ben Bloom's article uh, he described Katarina Johnson-Thompson. He said, remember when Katarina Johnson-Thompson was known for her flakiness? Remember when she seemed like an accident waiting to happen no longer? Is this the breakthrough event for KJT? Mm. Well, she said before the event that she told reporters that she doesn't think she was the favourite. She still thought she was an imposter. Um, I, I, and I think you're right, and, and Ben Bloom is right. There's no doubting she's a champion uh, in the making now. And actually... You know, when you when we, we talked about her, I think it was in episode three of Anything But Footy. It was even before we could come up with names for the podcast, <laughs> uh, for our weekly podcast. It was that early in it. And we talked about her performing so well in the uh, the European indoors in Glasgow. Obviously, the, she's the world champion indoors from Birmingham 2018. You mentioned the Commonwealth Games and the Gold Coast as well. And she's just getting into that that kind of habit of winning. And it's amazing when you get into the habit of winning 
that actually you keep on doing it. And she won in Gotsis last year in Austria. She's done it again this year. She's thrown a personal best in the javelin. I know you say it's down on, on Tiam, but you can't really do more than your personal best when you're in that competition. And when you are the favourite and the pressure's on you, then she's just beginning to not doubt herself. And I think that's probably the, the main difference from where she was. And even really before this week where she was saying that she was an imposter. But a few a few interesting things for you, Mike, and a, and, and a question for you. So she burst onto the scene in 2012, obviously, with Jess Ennis-Hill. I wonder whether Katarina Johnson-Thompson is now at the same uh, kind of level as Jess Ennis was in the build-up to 2012. So, you know, Jess Ennis became the face of London 2012. Actually, Katarina Johnson-Thompson, because of her so-called flakiness, has not really been the face of British athletics. And it has been Dina Asher-Smith, who is, of course, a double European champion, and Laura Muir as well. But you wonder, actually, with that performance, does that make her a bigger medal hope than Laura Muir and even Dina Asher-Smith for gold in Doha? Because actually, as you say, those points that she got today, were her winning score was better than Tiam's when she won the 26, 2016 Rio Olympics and the 2017 World Championships. I think she is a, a better medal hope than Dina Asher-Smith and Laura Muir. Dina Asher-Smith had a fantastic European Championships. She now has to step up and do that on a world stage. Uh, Laura Muir to do it on a world stage outdoors as well. Uh, she needs to, again, step up there. And I think Katerina Johnson-Thompson, out the three, is best positioned to be on top of that podium. The gold medal at the world stage in, in Doha at the end of this year. Having said that, I think people will always doubt her because her poor high jump cost her at London 2017. She had the three long jump failures after lying second at 2015 and in Beijing at the World Championships there and ended up finishing 28th overall. So I think people will, will remember that. 2015, it didn't work out at the world level. 2017, it didn't work out at the world level. Will it be third time lucky? Tiam, as we said, will be back as well. She will be a huge, huge rival. She won the gold medal ahead of Jessica Ennis-Hill in Rio. The comments about being an imposter, that doesn't actually surprise me because I think what Katerina Johnson-Thompson is trying to do here is just take the pressure off herself a little bit. I think she's recognised that ever since she burst onto the scene as a world junior champion, she went to London 2012 to, to gain experience, and I interviewed her a couple of times during that period of her life, and then everyone thought that she was the natural successor. And actually, it's taken a bit of time to succeed Jessica Ennis-Hill in this event, as it did Jessica Ennis-Hill to succeed Denise Lewis in this event as well. So I think comments like saying she doesn't believe she belongs on that level at that stage being an imposter I think she's just trying to take the pressure off herself and clearly that mental outlook if you like that psychology the way she's going into these events now it seems to be working for her because when she was going in and we were all talking her up it just didn't work when she was out on the track and the field. And we've talked about Tiam a lot, haven't we? The European indoors in Glasgow, the Worlds in Birmingham in 2018. You know, she's from Belgium, so she could have been competing in these events. It's very, you say she's back next month, but it's very difficult to come back from an injury and perform to the level that you can win gold medals. So, yes, we need to see what she's like when she comes back. And as you say, she is still probably the favourite being the world champion and the Olympic champion. But injuries do play a part in athletics particularly, and, and everybody knows that. So I think for Katerina Johnson-Thompson, really, she is in pole position for that gold medal 
at Doha at the moment for me. And she is probably the biggest British athletic star at the moment, I think, with a, with a nailed-on chance of getting a gold medal. We will keep you up to date uh, with Katerina Johnson-Thompson and, of course, all the athletics over the next few weeks as uh, we head into the outdoor season here on Anything But Footy. But lots of debate about women's sport and its prominence this week and in recent weeks. And we've always said on Anything But Footy, we never wanted to make it a thing. It's equal in our eyes. More women are going to Minsk, as Michael says, for Team GB than men. Exactly the same happened in Baku. Johnson Thompson, Muir, Asher Smith, the big names in British athletics. I actually can't m actually name a men's gold medal favourite in my eyes. So for me, equality, and Michael as well, equality means equality. So I was somewhat slightly surprised by some of the talk this week around women's football. And it is the big World Cup coming up in France from June the 7th. And we will be covering it here as England can help qualify Team GB for the Olympics, of course, in Tokyo 2020. Michael, I don't know whether you saw the comments made by Emma Hayes, uh, who is the Chelsea women's manager. And she called for the goals in women's football to be made smaller because of physical differences uh, between the men's version of the sport. And what surprised me about it, Michael was not necessarily her comments, they're her views, and that's her, her right to say that. But it was then every journalist, male journalist in, in, that I've read, went, well, yeah, absolutely, that's a great idea. Why? Why is it a good idea? Well, I don't think the women's game necessarily has to, to mirror the men's game. Um, you know, if you, if you look back at athletics, you don't have women doing a decathlon. You have them doing a heptathlon. Everything doesn't have to be exactly the same. And Emma Hayes has got a fantastic pedigree, uh, the women's coach at Chelsea, of course. She's been linked with the, the men's team job if uh, Maurizio Sarri was to leave. She's reached the Champions League semi-finals, uh, and she's also been third in the league this season. And as you say, she suggested maybe smaller goals because women in their physical makeup are generally smaller than the men playing the professional game of football. And as I say, I think Emma Hayes' point is that why not create a product, if you like, and I hate to use that word, that is, is watchable, is enjoyable, is marketable. And if that means that the women's game needs to adapt slightly, needs to innovate slightly, and, and smaller goals is one of the ways of doing that, well, why not? But, I mean, isn't, but isn't that a bit like, oh, bless them, they can't, they can't quite do the big goals? Isn't I, it a bit, bit patronising? I do take that point, but do you say that about athletes saying, well, they can't manage 10 events in a decathlon, in a decathlon over over two days, so we'll only give them a heptathlon or, or bless them? Well, no, we don't, well, well, do we? Well, we don't at the moment, but arguably, maybe we should. Maybe we should be saying these are, you know, we, we should be doing 10 events and the hurdles should be the high hurdles. Not, not, you know, because the, because the women compete over smaller hurdles. I just think, you know, you, you know, when when we talked about Kubaton earlier, you know, he didn't have women in the Olympics at all, and and I, you just think if you if 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 it's going to be the same sport, and football is a great sport, <laughs> we don't talk about it much, but it is a great sport, and it is available for everyone to play. And I thought it was interesting the Chelsea and England goalkeeper Carly Telford, who's five foot nine. So frankly, she's taller than me, Michael. Um, you and know, me. <laughs> you know, and she's rejected her club manager's claim that the goal should be uh, smaller, saying, "Look, actually, no, coach us better, coach us to a way where it's not easy for people to lob us. You know, change the way. Don't just because this is how men's goalkeepers are coached, then women's goalkeepers co need to be coached in a different way. And I think that's a that's a an interesting way of looking at it. Actually." put it back onto the managers and the coaches and say, well, actually make us better players rather than change the fabric of the whole game. 
It's a really interesting debate, and I was reading Frank Kirby's um, comments around equal pay for men and women's football this week as well. In the U.S., the women's national team have signed a lawsuit accusing the U.S. Soccer Federation of gender discrimination because the men were earning $8,000 more per game. Now, in England, the men's England team, they actually donate their fees to charity. That's because they're all earning quarter of a million quid a week at their club so they can afford to do it it's a different kettle of fish as far as the women's game is concerned i do understand what's happening though in the u.s with the women's national team because in america women's football is arguably bigger than men's football the women have won three world cups the men didn't qualify for 2018 therefore it does seem incredibly unfair that the men are earning eight thousand dollars more per game but i think frank kirby's nailed it he says or rather she says uh, frank kirby says the women need to grow the game first we need to to win the world cup then we can start talking about equal pay we need to start filling the same stadiums then we can start talking about equal pay and i think whilst not suggesting equal pay here for the men and the women's team she also says the women's team need to start working harder at getting good endorsements getting good sponsorship deals she has a nike boot deal for example and she says that they need to stop giving themselves away for free and i I totally agree with her here and you know it's a it's always an issue for people that are maybe at the the start of a long road and i think the women's game have innovated fantastically well they are really on the right trajectory they are moving very very fast but they still have a long way to go, as we know, if they're to rival the men's game. Do you remember after England won the Rugby World Cup in 2003, rugby became the new football? Yes. And then when, when England won the Ashes in 2005, cricket became the new football. Well, I wonder whether this could be the watershed moment this summer. England win the World Cup and then women's football could become the new football, yeah. if you get what I mean. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. And I'm really looking forward to having Team GB, assuming they qualify, uh, which I think they will, um, you know, in the Tokyo Olympics. I think it will be one of the big events. And it's funny, we, we always say this, that in this country, football isn't part of the Olympics. But when I was in Rio, going to the Maracanã and being in a stadium full of yellow and green shirts, obviously not Norwich City, but uh, Brazil fans, <laughs> uh, and seeing ne- Neymar score a goal. Leeds would have taken more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're not in the Premier League. Um, but seeing Neymar scoring a goal in that stadium was one of the Olympic highlights that I will always take away with me. And I think Team GB, the fact that men aren't going is disappointing, but the women, that could be a really big story for us uh, in Tokyo 2020, as you say, if they win the World Cup as well. There's a few more bits I want to talk about on equality, but just very quickly on football, because I watched the uh, the warm-up game that England beat Denmark 2-0 in their penultimate friendly before their opening World Cup match against Scotland in Nice. Uh, and uh, Telford, who is the Chelsea and uh, England goalkeeper, wasn't in goal. It was actually Karen Bardsley, and she played very, very well so I would assume that she's going to be uh, number one although Phil Neville the manager hasn't yet made up his mind as we know Phil Neville brother of Gary uh, not for uh, the, the, the uh, success he had at Manchester United uh, Jill Scott scored the second with a header at the start of the second half in Walsall just a few things that really alarmed me Michael very quickly that I must say a Phil Neville don't wear the waistcoat and tie like Gareth last summer <laughs> last yep. last summer was a one-off make your own Gareth story. light Exactly. Gareth Light. Just don't do it. He also rested a few big name players like Steph Houghton in defence. Houghton in defence. And 
you know, their defending wasn't very good from England. In fact, it slightly reminded me of a nervous and scared-looking Phil Neville. So, manager, please don't portray that to your players and never play a football match at Warsaw again. The pitch was atrocious. Uh, but look, we did brilliantly in Canada four years ago when we reached the semi-finals. Let's hope that the old England is long gone and, uh, and the pressure uh, does not tell for England women in the Lionesses, as they're called, uh, the World Cup in France in the next few weeks. Yeah, well, the good thing about Walsall, of course, is it's very handy for the M6. So uh, that might that might be. And I'm just mindful of um, when Gareth Southgate was asked why England played a friendly ahead of the World Cup at Ellen Road in Leeds, and he said, "Well, because I live in Harrogate." So you know, these things maybe just come into the coach's mind, and maybe Phil Neville thought, "Well, I can get an early getaway by playing in Walsall." <laughs> it's interesting this week as well. Just a couple of further points on this: Emma Hayes, as we said, linked with the Chelsea job if Maurizio Sarri leaves. I think it's a very, very long shot that she would actually get that. But, you know, in terms of coaching a football team, what you want from your coach is to be able to tactically set up a team, to be able to manage different sort of eventualities in a game, be able to deal with with personnel, sign the right players, identify and and nurture talent. And sex shouldn't be a barrier to that, should it? I remember Hope Powell, when she was the England manager, she's now, of course, with Brighton women's team. She was sacked by England after a bad performance at Euro 2013. She was linked with Grimsby. Do you think we are going to get to the time where maybe a woman's coach is going to get a, a job in in the football league in the Premier League? Yeah, I think that I think it will. No, I think it's 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 coming. And as you say, it will, it may well be some of the lower leagues to start with. And 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 why not? And you you know, no one ever thought before Sven Jorn Eriksson that England could have an international manager. So exactly, no, absolutely, exactly. it's got to happen. It's got to happen now. Very quickly on on equality, a couple of bits that we really need to mention because layoff case. Katie Balter uh, is, is frankly the message from, from us. You know, um, she has been a superstar for British tennis. She's on the rise. She's 22 years old from Leicester. She helped Joe Conta win the Fed Cup playoff uh, to return to the world group level in more than 20-odd years, as we talked about in a previous edition of Anything But Footy. But she got really criticised again for going to the French Open on Friday, saying she's not fit and collecting £20,000. Now, look, she'd earned her spot in the Grand Slam, so therefore she should be rewarded for it. Yes, you know, you might say well she knew she was injured before that she said that she thought she might be able to play but she went on friday collected her money and that's you know that's the rules that you get half the money if you turn up and say look i'm not fit uh, and nick kyrgios did exactly the same thing and i, I don't see uh, many people complaining about him the australian so as, as joe conta says the rules are the rules she's done nothing wrong no i totally agree with what she's done she's not broken any rules um, and for a, a tennis player at her level, £20,000 might be the difference this year. You know, there isn't huge money uh, washing around at that level, of course, for, for tennis players like Katie Balter, and she might well need that £20,000 to stay on the circuit. So the message is that she's done the right thing. Um, our other message, I think, on anything but footy today is to the, the sportswear manufacturers that they need to start doing the right thing because mm. I'm sure you've seen this uh, interview with Alison Felix. She's given an interview at the New York to the New York Times She's a six-time Olympic gold medalist, and she's given the interview off the back of comments from Alicia Montano and Cara Goucher, who both said this week that they'd had their pay cut by sponsors during pregnancy and what was essentially their maternity leave afterwards. And Alison Phoenix has described her issues with her sportswear partner as heartbreaking. 
She said she wasn't supported during pregnancy. And she said the company that she was partnered with, who claimed to have progressive values, were the exact opposite. And they pressured her to get back to training. So another message, I think, to the sponsors, to the sportswear manufacturers is if one of your female athletes gets pregnant, you need to support them because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely, here, here. Uh, it seems like every week we have a Rio 2016 Olympic medalist being tarnished. Well, Eunice Kerwa, who won marathon silver at the 2016 Olympics, has been suspended after testing positive for EPO. The Athletics Integrity Unit announced that the 34-year-old, who was born in Kenya but competes for Bahrain now, had been provisionally suspended after failing a test for the blood-boosting drug. Uh, Jemima Somgong, who beat Kerwa to gold in Rio, is currently serving a doping ban after testing positive for EPO in 2017. I think we're going to get to the point where you and I are going to get allocated medals for something in Rio, aren't we? Um, as we were, we were there and, and not on and not on EPO, as far as I know. Slightly different story around doping, and this week has seen the retirement of Ruta Melutite. Now you'll remember her; she was the Lithuanian swimmer who actually studied and was based in Plymouth. Went to school with Tom Daly. She won a breaststroke gold medal in London at just 15 years of age. She's announced her retirement at the age of 22 after missing three drugs tests over the last 30. Months. She had faced up to a two-year ban, and she said she's ready to start a new phase in her life. And I've got a certain amount of sympathy uh, with Ruta Meliotite because when you look into her story, if you like, of what's happened to her in the last couple of years with, with injury, uh, with illness, with mental illness in particular as well, I think she's she's basically missed those three drug tests because she's gone off the grid. That's my my, my guess at it. I don't know that. But I just think for, for Ruta Meliotite, she'd just had enough. And I think that's why this week she's announced her retirement after missing those three drug tests. And I think she's just having shot to prominence at 15 years of age. And as we know, it's very, very difficult then. And that's why we, we applaud Tom Daly for the way he's managed his career and the way he has continued. Having shot to prominence at 15 years of age, I think over the last year or so, my guess would be she's just had enough. Here, here, again, well said, Michael, and we wish her well. Um, rowing, the Westminster Mile, golf, cycling, modern pentathlon, rugby sevens and sailing still to come. But will there be boxing at the Tokyo 2020, Michael? It will be there. It retains its place on the Tokyo 2020 programme, but the AIBA, the International Boxing Association, will not be organising it, according to the IOC. They have concerns over finance, governance, ethics, refereeing and judging. That doesn't leave a lot else, does it? <laughs> um, basically, they uh, were suspended by the IOC in December 2017. The IOC meet in Lausanne later on in June, and they will oh, they are set to approve this, so there will need to be a new task force uh, to organise the boxing tournament in Tokyo. It's interesting, though, that WBA, the first professional boxing board, have reached out to the IOC and said they'd be interested in running the events in Tokyo. Of course, it was founded in 1921, and uh, former heavyweight champion Vladimir Klitschko has previously said the WBA should organise boxing at the Olympics. And uncertain times, as you say, for Michael, because there's a reduction in men's categories from 10 at Rio to 8 in Tokyo, which will allow for the rise of three women's divisions to five. So, you know, equality is coming to boxing, but they need someone to organise organize it to start with um right uh, let's run through some of the other big headlines then on anything but footy and more medal success for britain in the european championships ahead of tokyo next year uh, lorenzo chiaverini claimed his first senior major title finishing top of the european laser championships in porto the two-time olympian and teammate nick thompson claimed silver which means it'll be a tough selection for tokyo and in recent weeks if you haven't heard it on anything but footy we've talked giles scott and britain's one two successes in weymouth as well 
at the Westminster Mile. Well done to Chris O'Hare, who registered a time of exactly four minutes for the mile uh, to win the aptly named Roger Bannister Trophy for the second year in succession. Well done as well to Melissa Courtney, who defended her title too. She won the Diane Leather Trophy, and she held off European 1500 metres champion Laura Muir. Now, the Farrah family took part in the mass participation event, 9,198, including England's one-day World Cup cricket team, also took part in that. Sir Mo Farah started the race and then joined the kids and the wife to take part in it as well. He is taking part in the more serious 10K event. And don't forget, talking of 10Ks, the night of the 10K PBs taking place in Highgate on the 6th of July. Looking forward to that. England won two but lost a crucial one in their group games at the HSBC Rugby Sevens in Twickenham, which means they lost out on a quarter-final place and the chance to book Team GB's Tokyo slot. So a bit like the football, we don't know whether the Rugby Sevens will be going as yet in the men's. Uh, Simon Amor's men lost to Ireland but then beat Scotland and New Zealand but not enough to progress. And James Rodwell, who competed for GB in Rio, also played his last Twickenham Sevens tournament before retiring and the RFU have now appointed him to the coaching staff moving forward the 34 year old made an all-time record 92 world seven series appearances and a record 69 consecutive tournaments but ahead of tokyo england can still earn team gb a place via a european qualifying tournament in july we'll keep you up to date Summer is upon us, so let's talk snow and ice. On the ice, Great Britain have moved up to 20th place in the world rankings in ice hockey after the world championships in Slovakia. Finland won the gold, Canada silver, Russia won the bronze. Great Britain awarded relegation, uh, uh, avoided rather relegation with a dramatic 4-3 win in overtime against France. It was really good viewing as well. Great Britain finished 13th. On the snow, Dave Riding, a two-time podium finisher last season, along with Charlie Guest and Alex Tilly, have been named as Great Britain's alpine skiers for next season by GB Snow Sports. Kate French could be on course to improve on her fifth place in Rio in the modern pentathlon. That's swimming, fencing, riding, running, shooting to you and me. Uh, the 28-year-old from Kemp produced a third gold medal winning performance at the Pentathlon World Cup in a row in Prague, having done it in Egypt and Bulgaria in 2017 and 18. She dominated the first two days of qualification and was unstoppable in the final. And double British delighters teammate Jess Varley, who made up six places in the laser run at the end to claim bronze. So well done to them. And silver success too for for Britain's Joseph Chung, who came bursting through to take second place in the men's event in the last 800 metres of the run, reigning Olympic champion and two-time world and European champion Alexander Lezen of Russia, won the World Cup, his first since 2014. Congratulations to Annabelle Dimmock in golf. She's won her first ladies' European tour title, the Ladies' Open in France. It's her first title after five years on the professional circuit. Big breakthrough moment then for Annabelle Dimmock, who... Hey, who knows, might be representing Team GB in the golf in Tokyo. It also means she qualifies for the final major of the season on the same course later this year. And 49 athletes have been selected to represent Great Britain at the 2019 European Rowing Championships in Lucerne in Switzerland. Zoe Lee has moved back into the women's eight from the Quad Skulls, the boat she won silver at the 2016 Rio Olympics, and she's joined by teammate from there, Karen Bennett. And reigning Olympic champion in the men's four, Mo Sabihi, is in the powerhouse in the men's eight as well. Brendan Purcell, who's now British Rowing Director of Performance, said our main focus is definitely on the World Rowing Championships at the end of August. How However, we want to qualify as many boats as possible for the Olympic and Paralympics and the European European Championships will provide a good indication as to our speed and how that compares to some of our biggest rivals. It will be a big weekend for British rowing. 
And at the World Cup canoeing in Poznan, Liam Heath was amongst the British gold medalists. He is the Olympic champion. Of course, he won his gold medal in the K1 200 metres. And looking ahead to this week as well, we'll be just keeping our eye on Simon Yates in the Giro d'Italia in cycling. He is comfortably in the top 10 of the general classification after yet another podium finish. So Europe has dominated the agenda. One thing to be positive about in sport, we're very much part of it and will continue to be at the top medals table. Sports Social Podcast Network.